0: Hello! Before we get down to cinema, I would like to draw your attention to our Patreon. Regular listeners will know that these podcasts are supported by Quad, our home cinema in Derby, UK. But as Quad is a charity, we want to make CineLit as self-sustainable as possible. So, to that end, we have set up a two-tier way in which you can support CineLit. For our 35mm cine fans, you'll get a bonus additional episode each month where we will be deep diving into an area of cinema that will be exclusive to Patreon subscribers for at least six months before it arrives like a late dinner guest on the regular feed. Plus, you get the episodes a week in advance of the main feed release. But if you want to support us and don't feel that pressing need to have the additional podcast each month, but still want that warm, satisfying feeling of being part of the Cinelit Success Story... Then you can become an 8mm fan, where you can donate and get our heartfelt thanks. Head over to the Patreon page and subscribe if you can. However, we know that times are hard at the moment, so please do not feel you need to subscribe if you are not able. We'll still be putting out new, free-to-listen-to episodes on a regular basis throughout the year. Now let's get back to your regular scheduled broadcast. Welcome to CineLict. Today we are donning our spooky masks and tackling the Scream franchise. My name is Adam Marsh and today for this episode, the band is back together. Joining me today, Rebecca Taylor. How are you, Rebecca?
1: I'm okay. Hi, everyone.
0: And
2: also we've got, as ever, our resident expert,
0: Daryl And How are you, Daryl?
2: Yeah, pleased to be here, Adam. And as we've been talking about the Scream films just prior to recording... I get the sense this might be a bit of a two against one thing, and uh, and that's that's quite fitting for, for as fans of the series know, more than one of the films has got two killers in it. So uh, um, yeah, yeah, as we'll go on to talk about. So yeah, you could be the uh, the Nev Campbell to to me and Becky's masked duo i think so we'll see after that stretching of metaphors let's let's crack on with this
0: podcast we are talking the scream franchise so we are talking scream 1996 through to scream 2022 with a new film coming out this january first off what's what's your overall opinions of the scream franchise
1: well As a person that's not really into horror films, Scream is the only sort of franchise that I actually know quite a lot about. And actually, I would say enjoy. A friend of mine sort of got got me into them. Um, So it's a little bit nostalgic for me, particularly the first Scream. Yeah. And I, I can appreciate the, you know, the meta of it and how Nowadays, it it might not seem as revolutionary, but the first time I saw it, I you know, I really enjoyed it and it did really have me on the edge of my seat. And from then on, the others I'm not so keen on, but um, I have that nostalgia there and I just enjoy watching them just because just they're just fun.
2: So, so Daryl, as a crusty old horror fan, um, what's your take on the screen franchise? I think they work on various levels to various different audiences. I think they've got big appeal to current viewers, young viewers, simply because of of the sort of kineticism of them and and the uh, the, the sort of liveliness of the characters and so on. They appeal to crusty old horror fans like me, as you as you describe us. <laughs> um, in terms of the meta aspect and in terms of the fact that they refer back to the films that we grew up on, films that I was watching when I was 17, 18, 19, you know, and there's there's a lot of callback to, to the, the classic slasher movies of the early 80s. And I think they even appeal to an older generation in a strange way in that they are essentially a revival of the Agatha Christie template. They're basically Mm. who done
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the things that really struck me as I was watching them again, is that whilst obviously their connections to the slasher movie genre are well documented and there's lots of knife slashing action in these movies, they don't really play out like a slasher movie. Most slasher movies are like, you know, what you've got Jason and Jason's got the mask on and he kills a bunch of teenagers and then they kill him. Or Michael Myers, he's got the mask on and he, he, he just, Terrorizes babysitters and then they kill him. Whereas this one is more about who is it, who is under the yeah, mask. Yeah.
2: It's fascinating that the mask gets passed on from, from person to person across the franchise. I, I can't think of another series like that. And yeah, that's an unusual one.
0: It is quite an iconic look, though. I think that's been probably one of the, the big things, what big reasons why it's been so popular
2: is the iconic look of the, of the ghost face mask. Yeah, because it's so simple and mm. it's, 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 it's a great Halloween costume. And it really is a sort of dime store costume as well. Mm. It's not the hockey mask. It's not painting William Shatner's face, uh, you know, white to to get the Michael Myers look. I'm sure that, that at the time the first screen was being written by Kevin Williamson, costumes like this were probably available in Woolworths or wherever. Yeah. and, and um, it's got that simplicity to it.
0: Mm, mm. It's definitely held the, te- the test of time. It's the point where they even spun off a whole series, which seems entirely just based along the mask, really, than, than anything else. So let, let's get to, the, to the, I guess, the masterpiece of the franchise. I mean, a lot, of fran- a lot of slasher movies have great opening installments and then it's the law of diminishing returns. And I, and I think in some ways Scream lives up to that slasher template, where it 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 fires its best shot straight away and then it's it's not it's not great afterwards it, it's it's the law of diminishing returns with the sequels yeah, yeah. now um, we
2: we we're, we're talking here about four films all directed by the same guy of course and and it's and it's not just Joe Blow either it's mm. Wes Craven one of the kings of of 70s and 80s horror mm. and here he is reviving it in the 90s alongside this new writer Kevin Williamson who sprung out of nowhere and became one of the major cultural figures of the late 1990s, mm. you know, for about four or five years. Um, we'll talk about Kevin a little bit more as we go. But yeah, Wes Craven's name looms large across the first four movies. And Craven is not my favorite director of, of that generation of great horror directors Romero, Carpenter, Cronenberg, Cooper, and so on. But Of all of those guys, he's the one who seemed to keep reinventing the horror movie. I think, I think arguably five of his films have have completely shifted horror for their time. You know, I think Last House on the Left did, I think The Hills Have Eyes did. Nightmare on Elm Street in a major, major way. Then Wes Craven's new Nightmare, mm. just prior to Scream, which sort of did the meta thing.
0: Absolutely, um, yeah. And,
2: and, and I think made him the perfect director for Scream. And Scream really absolutely revived the slasher movie, which was dead. Mm. It was finished. And suddenly it was kick-started in 1996 by this movie. That's one of the things
0: about the Scream franchise. It's not just Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3. Uh, and then latterly, Scream Four and the TV series. It's also the thousands of uh, late '90s slasher movies that, that, that have sprung up in its wake. I know that
2: wouldn't have happened.
0: Yeah, I know you did last summer's Urban Legends, all those kind of ones where it's every other week there was a new slasher movie coming out that was on the screen template, yeah. but without the, the 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 smartness,
2: I guess. Of the and script. for me, that was great because I'd experienced that in 1979 and 1980. You know, I'd been going like I'd, I'd been seeing two of these things a month that the cinema for, for like three or four years from sort of 78 to 82, I guess. And suddenly that was back again. It mm. was, oh yeah, there's a new slasher movie every week, you know, brilliant. And and uh, even though they were all terrible, um, <laughs> the, all the ones in 1980 were terrible. I was, as was about to say, it's, um, it, yeah, it's copying
0: yeah. the genre yeah. fully in that respect. Uh, so Becky, did you see did you see Scream in the cinema or was it a home video
1: No, it was a home video (laughs) because, yeah, I was free when it came out. (laughs)
0: That's so (laughs) depressing. (laughs)
1: Um, So, yeah, it was um, a friend of mine. She was into all of those type of movies. um, And I just remember we weren't supposed to watch it. We must have been about, uh, yeah, about 15 and um yeah I just remember a sleepover of hers watching like the whole screen marathon yeah that's when I started to fall in love with it and kind of got what she loved so much about it um, so
0: were you were you into things like Dawson's Creek and Vampire Diaries and things like that that Kevin
1: yeah. So like Dawson's Creek, I remember was on the TV and I used to watch it occasionally, but I was still quite young mm. when that when, um, you know, that was really big. So I would say that I probably am um, the sort of next generation that were introduced to Scream. You know, I didn't see it in the theatre um, mm. and it's theatrical release. So I kind of experienced it afterwards. Um, And I know that my friend's sort of dad was into that sort of thing. So I think he probably passed it on to her. And as a consequence, she sort of got me into it. Mm. Yeah, I would say probably I'm the next generation. And it's quite interesting when Daryl was saying about, you know, that they cater for both the older horror movie fans and horror movie fans, you know, now. I a little bit might disagree with that, with the sense that I think they appeal to maybe my age group but i i think it's going to be quite interesting with the new release looking at yeah. much younger generations i think that are more used to those sort of more extreme slasher films my generation enjoyed it but i'm not I mean, sure. screams
0: screams never been a particularly bloody franchise mm-hmm. it's always been quite a P- and not quite. It's not PG thirteen, but it's not yeah, far sort off. Sort of you you know, user it's, friendly. It's yeah, user yeah. friendly, and, yeah. Broad and, uh, audience. I, I
2: think. I mean, it's interesting that both both Becky and yourself have brought up this era of of sort of early twenty first century TV. And Williamson again was was sort of mm. immersed in that because I think a lot of people who were watching those shows, not necessarily horror shows on TVs, but just general sort of teen dramas and things, they're they're the audience that the Scream films seem aimed at, rather than your your traditional horror fan.
0: Well, I mean, I I was 19 when when Scream was in cinemas, Um, and I obviously went to see it at the time, and I was a massive Buffy fan at that time, so when Sarah Michelle Gelley was in number two, I'm like, fantastic! And then she was killed off relatively quickly, I was like... This, this franchise is done for me now. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. That's
2: the point of the franchise, though, Adam. It, they, they, you know, they, they did the the, the Janet Leigh in Psycho thing with with Drew Barrymore right at the start of the. film. Well, that, that's an inter- that's an interesting one. When that film was being released, I seem to remember that
0: being re- advertised, pushed, and on talk shows as Drew Barrymore's next movie. Yeah, yeah, and they really pushed that. And then when she died in the first scene, it was like, Oh my God, yeah, yeah, what the yeah. hell's going I mean,
2: on? For for a while it was. For a while it was true. Because when 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 it was all being first sort of mooted and, and put together, Drew was, I believe, in the running to play uh, Sydney, right. uh, the, who, who Nev Campbell eventually mm. played, the, the continuing sort of series heroine, and Drew, being Drew, had loads and loads of commitments all over Hollywood and films she couldn't get out of and contracts signed and stuff. And by the time they came to, to shooting Scream, it was oh right, I, I, I can't, I can't play the lead. I can't commit myself for however many weeks it was, eight weeks or yeah. whatever. And so they they recast the part and said, "Well, you know, do you want to be in it anyway? Do You want to do and come a few do a few days on it, and uh, and that's how we ended up with the whole sort of Janet Lee thing." But but yeah, interestingly, they did carry that on in the publicity to say, as I'm sure Psycho did back in 1960 mm. with Janet Lee. So it, it did come as a surprise to everyone, I think, when when that happened, and and how great for a new generation to be able to experience that psycho moment, you know, Mm. where you think the film's about one thing and it turns out to be about something completely different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I, it
2: really landed with me when I watched it, when I sat, sat in
0: the cinema and watched it.
1: It was the same for me as well, because I really liked Drew Barrymore, and I remember my friend even saying, oh, she's in the film, you know, this is back in the days before internet, and you could research it. She's like, you'll like this film, and I that that's one of my favourite things about it, is that the sense of, I was like... I remember my my friend just like looking at me and I'm like looking at her like gobsmacked, like, oh, they've killed her off. Like I was expected to see her through the whole of the movie. Um, And I thought that that was really clever. I really like that.
0: It kind of sets that up as a sort of like potential thing that no one's safe, but the whole franchise maybe doesn't deliver on that. That level of um, threat, I think. For its I don't know any other horror franchise where three of the main lead characters have survived all the way to the fifth. Yeah, you movie. have That's, you
2: you've sort of got the, this continuing yeah. core of characters in a film about people being killed off. You yes, know? It's and ridiculous. They, they they do kill off some of the major characters, but it does seem that the 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 central trio are are Contractually
0: sort of, yeah. safe, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, a little bit of history on screen before we go on to mm. talk about the, the the content of the films. Um, Kevin Williamson was um, a, a young sort of unsigned writer, although he 'd got an agent and he was trying to get a foot in hollywood and, and he 'd written the script under the title "Scary Movie." Mm. And his agent read it and apparently his script was full of sort of intense detail about entrails rolling down people's thighs and things. And his agent said to him, look, Kevin, tone this down a bit. You know, we we don't need these detailed descriptions of internal organs sort of spilling out across people's torsos and things. Get rid of all that. Make it a little bit more, you know, sort of toned down. And uh, we we might be able to pitch this in Hollywood, and uh, and it got a bit of interest. And um, Wes Craven had just done New Nightmare, as as we said, so uh, so he was almost the perfect guy to take this on. And again, Wes Craven, someone who who had gone on record as saying he didn't really like slasher movies all that much. And if you look at his own films, even when they've sort of delved into slasher territory, he always does something else with that. You know, with with Hills Have Eyes or with Nightmare on Elm Street, they're they're more than just ordinary slasher films. There's a lot more going on. So he was the, the right guy to do this. And then Bob Weinstein stepped in, who, who was um, uh, sort of executive producing, and he said, I, I don't like the title Scary Movie because it's too it's too hard. It's a horror title. Mm. All it says is, is this film is going to terrify you. He said, I want something that gets in, in between scary and, and fun. Scar- I, I want I want to, to emphasise the fact that you can laugh at this film as well. How about the title "Scream"? You know, "Scream with fear" or "Scream with laughter," mm. and so it became "Scream." And who knew that that all these years later we would identify the title "Scary Movie" with the series of horror comedies? Yeah, yeah, you know that's that's Hollywood for you. So, uh, yeah, just one of these crazy things in 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 the background of the the sort of genesis of this film.
0: I think it's a fascinatingly, I mean, the '90s Hollywood cinema was was an interesting period. I mean, this this film seems as much indebted to Quentin Tarantino and that sort of like boom of indie filmmakers, uh, particularly the scripts, the scripts of those films rather than the direction of those films in some ways. Um, But that whip smart, clever, knowing about movie history scripts. And this seems to take it to the next level with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I was slightly disappointed when I first saw Scream because again, part of the big picture of it and everything you read in magazines was that oh the characters all know they're in a film and and they 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 talk about the cliches of film and they actually refer to specific films and they get asked trivia questions and stuff. And I went in thinking this sounds great. This sounds right up my street because I'll be there answering the questions along with the cast, you know. And you get that in the Drew Barrymore sequence. It's mm. superb, but. They sort of drop that a little in the the main drama, and it doesn't really come back until part four, which we'll talk about Mm. later, where where the the killers are asking specific trivia questions about specific nineteen seventies and eighties films. You know, and I I sort of wanted that all the way through the movie, but again, I guess that's limiting your audience. That's 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 selling the film to people like me, but it isn't selling it to someone who's 18 in 1996. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's a good move.
0: I, I think having cool killers, in, in this case, with, with the screen mask, punishing people for their lack of horror knowledge when you're playing it to an audience of 18-year-olds who've barely seen any horror movies. It's probably not the best route to go down, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I came I came to love that eventually. But on that first viewing, even though I enjoyed the film a lot... And I thought, oh yeah, I can I can see how this might kickstart the slasher movie again, which it did.
1: Mm. I there think, I was
2: think... there was this little nagging thing in me about, oh, it's not quite the movie that I wanted, you know. But I yeah, I've 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 got over that. Well, I think it's one of those ones where it's just like you you
0: don't want to go too hard on the on the meta stuff, where the characters don't like you say like they know they're in the, they know they're in a movie. You don't want to go down too far down that route because why should we care if we know that these people are not real people? You want to suspend the disbelief that these people are in threat and these people are, you know, in danger of, of being killed, not just characters being written off,
2: the page, yeah, yeah. There'd been a couple of movies before this. I mean, there was a film called Scream in 1981, which had uh, Woody Strode, um, Hank Warden, so two great old Western stars, you know, from from back to the 1950s and 60s. But it was, you know, it wasn't a meta film. It was just a sort of standard, rather poor sort of early 80s slasher. But but then after that, there were a couple of movies that that sort of predict. Scream and, and 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 sort of precursors to it, really. There's a British one called Hand of Death Part 25, which has got a killer called Jackson in it who, who wears a hockey mask and he's like Britain's answer to Jason Voorhees, you know. He spends the entire movie telling us, the viewer, about horror film cliches and, and describing what he's going to do to his victims and things like how when he's chasing a girl through the woods, he knows and she knows that she's going to trip over a branch and mm. he's going to come up behind her, you know, and so that's got this sort of scream level of, of, of sort of meta ideas to it. And then, of course, the Belgian film Man Bites Dog in the mm. early 90s, which again had, had a camera crew following a serial killer as he went about his crimes, and they're actually interviewing him about what he does. But it's funny, I think none of those
0: movies... None of those movies feel real. They they feel like they're bordering on comedy in yeah, some ways, yeah. and, and or, or the whole documentary elements to those ones doesn't make you feel you're watching real people. And I think Scream, well, whilst they're obviously not real people, they are they are Hollywood movie characters. They are real in the world of of Hollywood movies. Yeah, you know? yeah.
2: I think where 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 it's successful in that is is that it gives the characters jobs and it gives them things to do. You know, we've we've got a journalist, we've got a cop. We've got film students. Mm. With these people, are, we believe when these people are talking about horror films, we believe them because we we are convinced that they know what they're talking about because the characters are so good and so vivid. And we can identify with that. Being, being film fans, there's a certain strata of the audience that can accept that, oh, yeah, there are characters like this who have seen every Friday the 13th film. They've actually seen part eight, you know, and, and, and can talk about it in detail and can talk about all the clichés. So I think it's got a real believability, mm. and, and that, that's the one thing that's sustained through the series. We've actually seen that continue, and we've seen the characters grow as well. That's one good thing about having the continuing characters. We've seen them develop, and we, we, we've seen things like uh, Dewey, getting promotion and and you know in the first movies he's, he's, he's like third cop from the left you know and and by part four he's the sheriff mm. so so we've sort of followed that journey of these characters and i think it does make it more believable and more acceptable to an audience
1: what
0: what, what stood out for you becky on the first film was it was it the characters was it the metaness? was it what what, what was it that stood out for you when you first watched that
1: I think it's the meta. I kind of like that. Like I particularly like the scene with, um, is it Stu? And when he's talking and they're watching Halloween, is it Halloween they're watching? And and so that kind of that idea of like, you know, I'll be right back. And I kind of like that and the way that they play around with that. Bearing in mind that I'm somebody that doesn't watch a lot of horror films, so I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. So I kind of like it when there's sort of jokes and there's a bit more light-hearted. And then I just really like the double ki- killer aspect. Like I, 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 I remember watching it for the first time and I didn't see it coming. Um, and I thought that that was really good. Um, and it, yeah, and I kind of liked that idea that um the main character I can't remember his name. <laughs> I'm getting all Billy right, Loomis. Billy Billy yeah that he had kind of Johnny Depp vibes and things like that so
2: yeah yeah um, again you yeah you've, you've got skeet Ulrich uh, in 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 that role and at the time you know he he would have been seen by audiences almost on a level with someone like drew Barrymore you know and and so the use of him as an actor in in scream is so clever in in, in terms of, of, of the outcome of the mm. film, you know. And I, th- I think the series plays around with that quite a lot and plays around with the sort of status of, of the off-screen status of its cast to the point where across the series, I think you almost get a Drew Barrymore in every film. They're not always killed off unexpectedly, but there's always like... A, a bit of personality casting, a bit mm. of stunt casting. You know, we get Sarah Michelle Geller in in part two, as you've said, Adam, and then Parker Posey in in part three, and it's always it's always like the the name of the moment who's who who appears somewhere in in the screencast. Hayden Panettiere in, yeah. in in part four, you know, who, who just done the Heroes uh, show, so they always seem to go for. Who, who's who's the geek's favorite actress of the moment? We're going to get her in the movie, you mm, know, and mm. and and it happened uh, on on the male side as well. I think it happened with Skeet and and with with people like David Arquette and Matthew Lillard. You know, the the, the casting is very very good, well, and again, appeal appeals to people who aren't horror fans.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, Scream in some ways is like it's got a head start. I mean, because it wasn't like. Halloween or Friday the thirteenth, where they were scrambling together a low budget. This was a proper 15 million pound budgeted film. A you know, yeah, it was a yeah, real yeah. movie you know? <laughs> But it had enough money to be able to cast Drew Barrymore in a cameo, to be able to cast an extended cameo, to cast up and coming young actors that were either might go on or will go on to be very interesting actors in Hollywood. Um, it didn't have that where well, we need to get anyone. <laughs> who can we get in to get into this movie? They they, they were able
2: to cast yeah, yeah. a good cast of characters. The uh, the running time of the films is interesting as well because they the all four screen films that we've had so far. I don't know about the new one. All four we've had so far run between 110 and 120 minutes, and that's about half an hour longer. Than than a, a bog standard slasher movie. Mm. So again, there's there is this this idea within Wes Craven, and and he he was starting the the uh, Wes Craven's new Nightmare has a similar running time, almost two hours as well. And there is this sense with him that he was a director who found himself sort of mired in horror. He he was he was sort of stuck in the horror genre, and he was trying to get out. And eventually, he he did make that one film with Meryl Streep, uh, Music of the Heart. Mm where he, he tried to claw his way out of horror, but then he got dragged back in, you know. Um, but there is this sense with him where, where you, you obviously think that Wes Craven is thinking, well, if I'm stuck in horror... I'm going to try and make these look like real movies, and, and they, they're going to have running times of two hours. You know, they're going to be proper films. I'm going to make them like proper do you, films.
0: Do you not think that probably like le- the running time probably leans more towards what we were talking about earlier? What like these are not really slashers; they are murder mysteries. Yeah, and murder yeah. mysteries tend to have longer running. It times is. It's that Agatha stab- Christie. Yeah, thing. you're yeah, yeah. establishing
2: yeah. more yeah. characters as options, and I think the cast <laughs> the cast add to that yeah. as well. You know, you're, you're in 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 Scream, you're getting the 90, the mid '90s equivalent of the cast of, say, the the '70s Murder on the Orange Express, or, or a lot of those Agatha Christie adaptations that were coming out in the late '70s, early '80s. Mm. We're getting big name casts. Here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you think like Neve Campbell was on a big TV show just coming out off that? Was it Party of Five? Uh, David Arquette was, was, you know, Hollywood royalty. The Arquette sort of thing. Courtney Cox on Friends, you know, what I mean, the, the yeah, biggest yeah, show of the nineties. Yeah. You know, and,
2: and as we've said, we've got people like uh, um, Skeet Ulrich. We've got uh, Lee Schreiber, Drew Barrymore, Henry Winkler in a cameo part. You know, yeah. and 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 there's always big name cameos mm-hmm. in the films as well. And Henry's the the first one. He famously didn't take a credit on Scream no? because he thought that maybe this is his his ego sort of coming to the fore a little bit but he he said i you know i'll be in the film but i don't want People thinking I'm the star of the film. Let's let's give the young cast their due, you know. So I'll I'll do it uncredited. I don't I don't think that Henry Winkler in Scream would have would have meant very much to the target audience. No, it he, awesome. he he rather graciously sort of said, "Oh yeah, I'll I'll stand aside and and just come in and do a little cameo." But yeah, I think he was sort of bigging himself up a little bit there. But it's nice to see him in it, you know. And of course, we get Wes Craven in there as well. Um, yeah. Essentially, playing Freddy Krueger, you know, mm-hmm. he's in there dressed as Freddy Krueger, playing the school janitor. So, and and a little cameo from uh, Linda Blair as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a film that attracted these these recognisable and 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 big star names, you know, and and not just Henry Winkler and Linda Blair, but the current the current generation of stars. Mm. So, yeah, it's very different to to what we knew of as a template slash a movie. This this was something. Much, much bigger and much more important. We've talked a lot about the like meta aspects, and that's what people talk about when
0: they talk about screen. But I think for me, the thing that I found really interesting, and, and they carry this on all the way through the films, that doesn't often get talked about, is just the kinetic way of the of the of the slasher deaths. It's not Michael Myers stalking slowly through the the, the suburbs and eventually catching someone. It's not Jason methodically making his way and killing teenagers. It's it's this frenzied attack where they're falling over furniture, they're, they're crattering into doors, slumping on the floor, you know. There's this almost like animal attack sort yes, of thing yeah. about that, it. Which... That, was,
2: that, was, that was very new, I think. Mm. And again, that, that made these films feel bigger than yeah, the standard slasher movie. Oh. And it's continued to be, it be influential over the past 25 years. I think Halloween Kills came out mm. in, in October, copies that scream template yeah. in, in its kill sequences. They're, they're little mini dramas in themselves. Craven himself tried to copy that in, in a number of his own later films. There's a film that he did called My Soul to Take, which is almost, it sort of falls in between the Scream movies. It's all it's almost aimed at the Scream audience, but it's it's terrible. It's 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 a good job. It wasn't part of the Scream franchise officially because it would be by far the worst one. You know, it does have a lot of that running up and down the stairs and chasing yeah. around landings and things. But it's just done rather half-heartedly, whereas I think he he really puts his all into these sequences yeah. when it's when the when the word scream is in the title. So what 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 made you what made you think that cause West Craven was not you know he
0: did Nightmare on Elm Street, he didn't come back for Nightmare on Elm Street two, he came back in a scripting capacity for Nightmare on Elm Street three, that's correct, isn't it? Um and then eventually came back with new nightmares. he's so not what he's not really one to return.
2: Did he do Hills of Ice 2? Yeah, he, did, he but did. again, sort of under protest. Um, and that, yeah. that ended up being released unfinished.
0: Yeah, there you go. So he's yeah. like he's yeah. not one that that does a great movie and then wants to continue on. Like you say, he's always had that inkling and that itch to move out of horror into, into something different. Um, why do you think he directed all four screams? I think uh, he, other than money yeah, obviously.
2: I think he saw something in this. I, I I think he saw how big the films were in terms of in in his mind I think he thought these aren't horror films in the way that we've been discussing, you know, Christopher Lee was famous for this. Christopher Lee were all the say in interviews, Oh, I've I've only really done about six or seven horror films, you know. And fans are thinking, no, you've done about 60, mate, you know. But Christopher Lee would sort of look at the roles that he was playing in the films. And if he wasn't playing the central horror character, he didn't necessarily consider it a horror film, you know. And so in his mind, he had only done like six or seven horror movies. And I think Wes Craven's the same with these films. He's thinking that, that yeah, these films have got something to say. They're mm. important. So, yeah, I am going to do the whole series because I I think these these are different to me working on the Hills Have Eyes part two. They're, they're bigger than that, you know. Mm. I, I, I think he liked working with Kevin Williamson. And yeah, I just get the impression that that he thought these were these were bigger than the, the genre, you know. And I think the same with Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which he was mm. enticed back yeah. to. That again was a case of all right, okay, they're asking me to do another Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but let's see what I can do with it. Let's see how I can push this away from horror and make it about something different. Let's make this one about the film business. Mm. And interestingly, some of the Scream sequels Mm. turn into movies about Hollywood.
0: Yeah, um, um, arguably the worst ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. But if, if, if they're not about Hollywood, they're often about media and they're often about the way in which film goers and film fans react to, to certain tropes within certain genres of film, you know. I think it was that message that Wes Craven latched onto and made him keep coming back time after time.
1: Mm. I was just thinking about with why Wes Craven continued being the director, and again, it will be interesting with this new one. I think he wanted consistency, because even in the ones that are not so great there's still an aspect of it that's always the same. And I think, you know, with Screen Free, they played around a bit with the team and it just showed they didn't work. And I think he wanted to continue that on but to make sure that that consistency sticks through. So I think that's why he he continued on. And yeah, I can't put my finger on it, but I just really enjoy the Screen franchise. And I think that that's the thing that why I enjoy it, because I know it's going to deliver on something, but I don't know quite what it is, but I know that I'm always going to sort of, even if I didn't love the film, I'm going to enjoy it. You see,
0: I, I like the first film a lot, but not not as, my, as much as, people, as, as a lot of people do, but I think the rest of them are worthless. I, I'll be honest, I really don't think they've got anything interesting to say that's beyond very basic film school 101 bullshit there i've said it there come at me
2: well i i think i think the, the great thing about the scream franchise and this is all set up in part one is is that they're critic proof and fan proof almost you know they 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 can they can resist that kind of comment Adam because they're so very meta that they can they can use that against any criticism, because if if they make a terrible Scream movie, and Scream 3 is probably the worst, as as I'm sure we're going to go on to say, but Scream 3 then tells you that, that part three of a series is normally bad. The characters on screen are saying that. They're talking about the deficiencies of of a part three in a trilogy, you know, and they're referencing things like Godfather Part Three and stuff like that, you know, and I, th- I think they get away with that. I, I think they 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 can they can they can be bad or they can be substandard, and then they can write that into the story. And and I, I think I think it's it, it's a strength.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, the one thing they, they they can't really write into the, into thing is like is that the, the the third film in a franchise usually takes a quarter of the money of the first two films. <laughs> hence, why we have a, a ten, 10 year delay between three and four. <laughs> That's not often get written into, does it?
2: But it still makes a profit, you know. So, and and Scream is still a brand. We've now got a new movie, so I think even if the profits are sort of diminishing, they're still there. They're still making money on this and. I think it's clearly going to go on into the future. We, you know, mm-hmm. we've we've got we've got the new Scream with with its little its little V in in the M on the poster to emphasise that it's it's really Scream Five. And why why didn't they title it you know Five Cream? On yeah, they yeah. Have, have the S as a Five, but uh, you know, but uh, who 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 um, can say? not I I'm. I would have loved them to
0: have done like Scream, and then House of Screams, Bloody Pit of Screams, and and then titled them like yeah, that. No,
2: nobody does that like now. that Who exactly. Yeah, it's does. a Scream yeah, Two. Yeah, How yeah. dull and I boring it, is that? It is, it is. But again, again, they would argue, I'm sure, that oh, we're we're doing that as part of the the meta feel of it. You know, yeah. we're we're calling these films Scream Two and Scream Three and so on because that's what slasher movie franchises did. You know? Yeah, yeah and, not and all, though. No, a lot of them had subtitles. Aren't they? Some, you know? some did. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what the Scream films have missed, I think, a mm. good subtitle. When we when we showed Scream here, as um, uh, it wasn't as part of Fright Club, actually. I looked this up the other mm. day. We did it as part of a teen movie season. That's the right, Club, yeah. But I was still asked to come on and introduce it. And I actually did a Scream-style trivia question to the audience. I put my Scream mask on, metaphorically you know and uh and i said right here's a question here's a trivia question for you and if you get this wrong the the killer comes and stabs you you know the, the question simply was what's the title of the fourth scream movie and everyone said scream four and i said you're all dead
0: Why? Wow, what is the title well
2: if you look on the poster the title is s-c-r-e-4-m so it's sort of square, four, mm. <laughs> so, uh, and, the, and that's what the killer would say. You know, yeah. it's, we, it's called Scream 4 and it's always referred to as Scream 4. So it is in a way correct, but a Scream killer would say no. What, it, does it, what
0: does it say on the actual screen title in the film? The BBFC
2: title card also no, says... No,
0: no, no, no. What does it say? When the film starts and it comes up Scream 4, or Scream four 4M... What does it say on the actual I, film? Because that's remember. the title. I can't, re-
2: I can't remember. I, I, I think I think it has the four in. Okay, uh, as as far as I know.
0: I, th- I think we're getting bogged down in the yeah, nitpicking. Yeah. Well, the... well, listen,
2: we're in sort of Scream Killer trivia territory here, and uh, and I think that's that's a different world to reality. You know, that's the, the great thing about the killers in Scream is they are they are pedantic.
0: Yeah. Oh God, yes.
2: As well, what... as, well as being skilled at murder, we don't. They are absolute pedants. Well, we don't get that in the. Second Second
0: and third movies, do we don't get that Not sort so of bad. like no, I so think it's only in the first and the fourth one. So why do you think they didn't continue that in the second and third one? Because the second one, the killers, I don't know. I mean, I mean, what are your what were thoughts on Scream Two initially? I think it's it, my my thoughts. It, it's still efficiently done. The, the kills yeah. are still fun. It's progressing the story of Sydney, who I think has got to be one of the dullest. <laughs> Um, scream queen uh, lead characters in in, in horror history surely she's just nothing to her whatsoever um and I don't necessarily think that I used to think it was Neve Campbell's acting style but I think there's just not a lot written in there I think you're supposed to project
2: onto her strength or weakness or whatever whenever you're watching it Um but that that final girl type character and she's not really a final girl necessarily in Scream again they, they sort of change that and play around with it but your traditional sort of final girl her, horror heroine character is usually crushingly dull you know usually the dullest character yeah. in the film again I wonder if they sort. Of, they they would argue they've done that on purpose.
0: Possibly. I mean, they don't have a final girl. They have a final football team yeah, in yeah. these
2: franchises. Be- Becky, what's what's your take on on uh, Nev Campbell and on on her place in 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 among the the, the cast of Scream?
1: Yeah, she is incredibly dull. But because I haven't watched as many horror films as you guys, so I'm a. But I I thought that 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 was just sort of the recipe. She's supposed to be a bit two like goody two shoes to be honest I don't really find her uh, as uh, offensive in the films as <laughs> as you guys but um yeah I, I've always thought that she was pretty dull but that hasn't really bothered me because I've, I've always thought that that sort of was sort of the recipe of of that but I haven't seen as many films um, I think
0: it's fine I think it's fine for the first film yeah, I yeah. think it's fine to have that character who is quite shy, quite nervous. Yeah. Uh, she's a virgin. You yeah, yeah, all those, yeah. those stereotypical horror cliches. And then she grows and through this experience becomes out of a, a stronger person. Yeah. It's you... taken lots of people being butchered to happen, but that, yeah. she comes out of a stronger person. And I don't get that character. So in the second
2: and third film, I want to see that stronger person. Yeah. Do you know what she is? She's the character in this franchise who doesn't know about horror films.
0: Yeah. And doesn't realise that she
2: has to yeah. grow as a person. But, but by by being that character, I think she appeals to the people in the audience. She's wow. like their okay. representative, and I think that could be that could be a strength that we don't recognise because we're we we like all the other characters, you know, because they're all talking about Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. You so know.
0: I, I mean, I liked I liked Scream Two. I liked the fact that we had an interesting dynamic between Dewey and uh, Gail Weathers. I thought that was quite an interesting one. Which then they just repeat in Number Three yeah they yeah. kind of like rebooting go into number three in the same situations they are in number two yeah yeah and it's just oh, I, I just it frustrated me yeah.
2: what what screen two has also got is is it does the meta stuff but it doesn't do it in the way that Scream did. It doesn't, it doesn't focus on this horror trivia and horror cliches idea. There's a little bit of talk about, you know, the rules of a horror mm. sequel and things like that, but that's, that's sort of confined to one scene in, in the film studies classroom, which is a great scene, you know, and, uh, yeah, there's all this talk about, oh, can sequels be superior to the original and what makes a good sequel? But the very start of the film, references the the 1980 slasher movie he knows you're alone which which started off with deaths among an audience watching a slasher movie and they repeat that here in screen 2 so they're sort of doing that meta thing but doing it in a different way to the trivia idea of part 1 they're, they're sort of uh, they're sort of shifting that a little bit that stuff wasn't necessarily the appeal of, of the first Scream, that people did like the characters and they liked the character sort of interactions. And so there's more in the second half of Scream 2, there's much more of a focus on that, I think.
0: So what what do we think to the villains in number two? We get um, Mickey, the uh, the serial killer, an official serial killer, apparently, according to the film, one of 92 or something like operating in the US at any one time. Yeah. Uh, And we get Billy's mum as as the killer, I guess in a a flip reverse of Friday the Thirteenth.
1: I I like Billy's mum. I think that that was quite a not an obvious one. Um, Yeah, I didn't like. Is it Mickey? I didn't like Mickey so much. (laughs) Like, yeah, it was kind of. I was a bit disappointed when it was revealed it was him.
0: Yeah, it was a bit of a low rent, low rent uh, Billy, isn't he in this one? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it just, I, I think the the, the whodunits uh, have diminished from the first one. I think the first one had a couple of great reveals, and then I mean, the dual killers in the yeah, first one was yeah. good.
2: This this one, half of this one, I, th- I think the Mrs. Loomis reveal comes comes out of nowhere, really. You know, yeah, uh, and it feels it's it's great. Because who doesn't like a, a sort of psychobiddy type character? You know, these sort of old, older ladies turning out to be psychos is is always great in horror movies. You know, but it it, it does it does come absolutely out of left field. But once once she's been revealed, she's fantastic because she's already been a bitchy character anyway in her other guys in the film and then suddenly she can go all out and and get all stabby stabby you know it is
0: a hard turn though isn't it, yeah, it, I mean, it she it goes is. from being it like is. a bitchy sort it of is. like rooted in the real world reporter to being but cuckoo again, crazy cuckoo I mean, crazy psycho mom, again you
2: know? again the, the the producers and makers of Scream 2 would say oh we we you know we're not we're not the first people to do that we're refer- we're referencing horror's past you know yeah, and yeah. and uh, fair enough, off you know Excuses, I, I, man. I accept that
1: they obviously reference quite heavily about um, going from screen screen one to screen two with the sense of that horror films, can, can horror films make killers? And sort of that whole... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they do have that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sort of aspect of, you know, obviously... I don't know, was it the first one or the second one, you know, more referencing, more like the Oliver Stone case with natural-born killers and things like that. And I think... It weighs quite heavily on all that of you know the idea that these crazy people just then become killers. Um, I think that that was a little bit what they were trying to get at with them. And, and
2: that that was current at the time. That that was an idea that had been revived in the mid-90s mm. because of natural-born killers, I guess, you know, and it was and and there'd been there'd been the Jamie Bulger case over here, which was linked to uh, Child's Play 3. Yeah. So it it, it had currency in the media. And I, I I, can see Wes Craven sort of going along with that to some extent in a way that a David Cronenberg or a George Romero wouldn't have done. Mm. They'd have protested about that. They'd have said, I, I don't believe that film creates murder, you know. And you can sort of see Wes Craven being a person who sort of saw himself as stepping away from horror a little bit. Wanting to maybe try and defend that
0: idea mm. a little. I mean, yeah, I mean, people always say like films can change lives, so why can't they change serial killer lives? I guess, <laughs> I guess, it's, would be Wes Craven's argument. I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but back, going back to the mother angle, obviously, the mothers run the theme of motherhood runs quite strongly through all three of these films. You know, mm. we have we have uh, Sydney Prescott's mom, Maureen, Maureen Prescott. Yeah, in the first film, it's her. Pre-starting film credit death that is a, has kickstarts this whole franchise, isn't it? Really, yeah. and the second one we've got Billy Loomis's mother, and the third one we have the uh, youthful um, indiscretions slash trauma of of Maureen Prescott's life as uh, as a Hollywood starlet sort of thing that informs the killer in, in that one as well. So it's got a real strong sense of motherhood. Yeah. I'm not and, sure whether more... they knew that when they were doing it. I think it just maybe got to the third
2: one and went, oh, yeah, mothers. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's quite a good, strong link. But Maureen becomes a character who's barely in the films mm. and, and yet hovers over the, the, those first three yeah. like a colossus, mm. you know. No. The series sort of becomes about her by yeah. the end of part three. And, and yet, in terms of screen time... There's there's next to nothing, you mm.
0: know. I think one of the big problems with me because they 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 kill off Randy in the second one, who is a likable character that we like. And the well, he's, he's the film geek. He's yeah. he's he's ours, isn't he? Yeah. He's ours yeah. to an extent. Yeah. So they have killed off Randy. So by the time he gets to the third one, they're not killing off any of the 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 holy trinity, are they? They're not killing off Courtney Cox, David Arquette, or Neve. So you end up having a lots of characters that get introduced purely as fodder in these films, which yeah. I know is a... is a, is a <laughs> You're just going to say, well, that's what they do in Slashman. They they do, but they introduce them as characters. And I, I get a I get the feeling these movies, they don't quite introduce them fully as characters, and they feel like ciphers, and they feel like, they feel like yeah. well, you're only here well, that, to be killed next that, scene. That
2: fits, that fits a Friday the 13th sequel. It doesn't necessarily feel like a good fit for Scream, because Scream Mm. is bigger than that. Scream sets itself up as being bigger than a typical slasher movie franchise. But, yeah, they then, because they have to, um, because of the other factors you've mentioned, they can't kill off the holy trinity, you know. Mm. They have to then fall back on that slasher movie cliché of bringing in the conveyor belt fodder, and which is it's not a good fit for this scene. It's not a
0: good fit because you, you're spending time with Neve and Courtney and David as characters. You are you are spending time with those characters, so you don't have enough time to fully develop Sarah Michelle Gell's character or fully develop um, the, the cast and crew of, of Stab 3 in, 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 in the third film. You don't have enough time with those characters to truly enjoy spending time with them and love them and then feel horrible when they die yeah or, or suspicious when they uh, turn up in situations but let's move let's move on to number three because it's it's got a cast number three i was watching this last night and my, my wife came down from upstairs and was watching some of it with me and she she just mentioned "Well, oh, there's some names in this isn't there and it's like, yeah, Emily Mortimer in, a, in an early role. You know, you've got a, a cameo appearance from Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you've got some, obviously, Parker Posey, who's, I usually enjoy everything that she's in. I, and I enjoy her in this movie, but this movie's not a great movie.
2: yeah. And in in cine lit and, and quad terms, I think we also need to mention cine lit's ultimate hero Roger Corman is in the film. He is, yes, and um, a guy you've worked with Adam Jason Mewes is Jason it. Mewes and As Silent Bob. Of, yeah, yeah, half of Jay and Silent Bob who turn up in it bizarrely.
0: Yeah, that's such a weird cameo. It kind of fits, but it kind of throws you out of the world. Because the cameo of Jane, Jane, Silent Bob are not real life characters at this point. You know, they are, they're, they're Jane, Silent Bob in silly, broad comedy kind of world. Yeah. Uh, and throwing them into this world where you're supposed to be making the characters feel real and believable.
2: And it's, well, it's very early on in the film as well. So it sort of sets the tone for mm, Scream 3.
0: Mm, yeah. And no, Scream
2: 3 never really recovers from that.
0: No, no, I don't think it does. I think it is. Mean, uh, Car-
2: Carrie Fisher's cameo is fantastic as a little isolated scene, mm. but. In in terms of tone, it, it, it's sort of all wrong. It's not what we want from a screen film necessarily. No. It's a brilliant scene, great fun, but the, it's it sort of it's one of the contributing factors in weakening this film. I think. I think
0: there's a lot of interesting ideas in this movie that don't really pull together it, into a coherent whole. I mean, I I I I I say I, I, I rewatched it again last night, and I can't remember whether I just missed this. Or whether they did explain him, but they kill off the killer. They show him. They check his pulse. He's dead. Do they explain how? Do they explain how he how how, how he comes back from the dead? Even if it's just a line going like, "Oh yeah, no, I, I, I um, it, it was a dummy hand or whatever that like, you you check the pulse of."
2: Yeah, do you remember that, Becky? Because I I I can't actually. Now no you've way. said it, Adam.
1: No, no. no, it just comes back.
0: <laughs> it just comes back because it gets to the point where it's like the only plausible person who can be the killer is the cop. And then he turns up and you think, okay, yeah, yeah he's, he's the cop. The cop's the killer. Patrick Dempsey's character is the killer. And, and then suddenly, no, he gets nailed by another killer. And it's the director character who we see dead with a knife in his chest just like 20 minutes earlier. But yeah, logic. Like,
1: like, yeah, let's yeah. just move on. But, I mean but, this okay, this film was again,
2: again you know, the, the to 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 defend the series, they they if 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 you'd have put that to Wes Craven or the writers, they'd have said, Oh yeah, that, that happens in slasher movies. We can just bring characters back like that. You know, it is critic-proof, really. Absolutely. But but then, you know, there's nothing to stop you having your own opinion and thinking, oh, this is a poor show.
0: What I mean, obviously, we don't get the return of Kevin Williamson on this. No, uh, we get. And it shows. It really just does shows, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> we get the screenwriter who goes on to write masterpieces like Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen, Transformers: Dark of the Moon. <laughs> Kevin Williamson obviously has love for these characters, and why did we get this film without Kevin Williamson scripting it? Was it purely a money making thing? Was it like we need to keep making these sequels? Very quick succession. Because then we're in 96 to 2000. It's only four years. We get three films in four years for this franchise. That's, that's quick. Even by Hollywood standards, that's quick. And maybe not by slasher standards. Yeah, you know. not by slasher <laughs> like in, in the 80s, so. yeah, you know, it's yeah. one a year for Friday the 13th. And you know.
2: Scream sort of, because Scream has reinvented the slasher movie, it's sort of making its own rules as mm. well, I think. It's sort of, it's outside of Hollywood in a sense. It's not necessarily having to play the game and it can go back to that slasher movie template of banging out a sequel a year i mean scream 2 came out less than a year after scream i, th- I think the the dates are something like december the 20th 96 and December the twelfth, ninety-seven for, mm. for the, the the initial release. So uh, sim- very similar to the first two Friday the thirteenth movies. Part part two of Friday the thirteenth, yeah, came out. I think eleven months after after the first one. So uh, so it's in that sort of tradition. And then Scream three sort of carries that on by coming out very quickly. But yeah, I I don't have a theory on why why this happened and why it
1: happened without Williamson. I don't know if I'm right, but I think it's due to work commitments. I think Kevin Williamson was tied up with something else, and they just went ahead without him. I feel like I read that somewhere.
2: That does make sense because yeah. having become famous after doing Scream, and then I know what you did last summer, he, he was getting loads and loads of job offers and loads and loads of work. So yeah, that that really does make sense.
0: Well, apparently, he wrote a twenty-page, twenty to thirty-page,
2: like draft outline. Um, yeah, but he apparently he'd, he'd written that as part of the screen, script, yeah, probably. he did. Yeah, apparently, yeah, he, did. He, he wrote the script for Scream and then tacked onto the end of it outlines for two sequels. Two sequels, that's right, yeah. yeah. So, I, I don't know whether
0: I, I think they went back to that, but ended up like throwing a lot of that out, um, and and and, and creating a new script, I guess. But, it, it, but he shows, he just show like. Apparently apparently the earlier drafts, I mean, maybe maybe this this would have been better, but the earlier drafts have Sydney's character as a bit more like Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2 kind of, you know, she's a hardened sort of like, we don't really get that. We get her in a little compound up in the woods for a couple of scenes with a dog, like Linda Hamilton's dog in the end of Terminator 1. And, and then suddenly she's like, oh no, I was wrong to isolate myself. And she comes back to, comes to Hollywood and, and gets involved in the plot, but she's, she's barely in this.
2: Yeah. Well, the, 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 the thing I love about Scream three is that it's Courtney Cox's film. I mm. think. You know, she is um, Sydney's still the central character. And, and again, it does, doesn't necessarily need to be in it to be on screen, to be the central focus of the film. But in terms of screen time and in terms of activity and in terms of characterization, it's, it's, it's Gail Weathers' film, I think. Mm,
0: I think. I think the scenes with her and Parker Posey are fantastic. Oh, they're wonderful. Uh, they're wonderful. They, they feel like they're in a different movie. Yeah,
2: yeah. And again, they're, cool. they're meta in, in, in a sort of a, 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 a slightly removed sense from the way the first two films are meta. You know, mm. they're meta on a different subject, yeah. on, on a different topic. All, all, we're, we're into the realm here of talking about film adaptations of real-life mm. events, because the, the whole plot is centred around the, the fact that the events of the Scream films are now, if you treat those as reality in, in the world of the films, they're now being filmed as... Fictional movies, you know, or, or sort of docu drama movies. I think I think with this film, it
0: also say so it's like it, it follows it follows it sets up the rules right, and then just throws them out the window when, when it doesn't suit. Whereas the first two films don't really do that; they yeah. set up the rules and they follow the rules. In this one, they sort of like set up the rule that the killers killing the characters in the screenplay in order of their deaths in the in, in the stab three screenplay. And then literally, almost after they have that scene where they realize that, they kill off the uh, security guy, and it's like, "Oh yeah, well, no, we don't care about that anymore. We're going to kill Patrick Warburton instead. let's just move on." And obviously, the, it must have gone through so many like screen rewrites and uh, redos and and, 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 and and just hacking around with it, because it, it feels like it's a bit of a mess from the screenwriting point of view. You have scenes that feel like they 're in a different movie. You have like plot points that don 't marry up yeah.
2: well as you've said, that even plays through right to the end and the reveal of the killer which is which is just a mess and, yeah. and just you know it, it's it's unacceptable. The audience doesn't buy it, do no. they? You
0: know, no, and 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 they don't buy. It. I mean, the, the approval ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, which are, are, are a lot to go by now, but uh, it, the general consensus is that third one really just like jumps the shark,
2: yeah. in many ways. What what I like about Scream Three though is 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 the, the the way it sort of refers to Hollywood and it brings in old Hollywood as well because mm-hmm. this new hotshot director is living in a, a classic. Hollywood mansion, you know. I think uh, it's interesting, though, because, like, films
0: about Hollywood, they keep making films about Hollywood. Hollywood loves making films about themselves. Yeah, yeah. But they never do that well at the box office. Audiences generally don't want to see films about Hollywood. I think that's a, as, a, as a Hollywood broad. does But they to love see making movies, movies about themselves. Yeah, yeah of yeah. course they do. Why wouldn't they? Uh, it's in, in an egocentric industry, why not?
2: Why why wouldn't you make movies about but your own? To, to be fair, Scream is a good fit for that though, because, yeah. because it's got this meta aspect to it, and it then by by the time we've got to scream 2, it's it's now set in the film business. We've now got this film called Stab being made, and again, that that in itself is a, is a is a sort of meta reference because there was a film uh, that was going to be called Stab in production in nineteen eighty one, um, which turn, which ended up being released as um, Still of the Night, the film with the uh, Roy Scheider and Meryl Streep. Which which was at the time I remember being covered by like Fangoria and a lot, lot of the horror magazines, you know. As like oh, you know, in the in the middle of the slasher boom, there's there's now going to be this slasher type movie with with proper stars in Meryl Streep and Roy Scheider are in it, you know, mm. and it's called Stab. And and then when it came out, it was called Still of the Night, and it was really nothing like a slacker movie. But yeah, it it, it was sort of promoted as one in in, mm. in in the press, and um and I I I am sure that Kevin Williamson would have been aware of that, and may well have taken the stab title from that. So yeah, possibly. Uh, you know, given given the history of the Scream films and and the depth of the references, I'm I'm certain that's the case. And of course, oddly, then Wes Craven goes on to work with Meryl Streep all, all those years later. So there's there's a weird connection. But yeah, Scream had immersed it, itself within the world of Hollywood as early as as Scream Two, if if not before. You know, um, and and um, so yeah, it sort of makes sense in Scream Three. As, as much as anything else does. Yeah.
1: I a little bit disagree. Uh, it doesn't show Hollywood in the nicest light, you know. Um, it Now, with a more modern look on it, it kind of ex- shows a more exploitive side. Oh, of- no, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: But they love doing that as well. They, they love they love the, it's not just the glorification of Hollywood, it's 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 the sleaze of Hollywood like putting anything to do with Hollywood, they love putting Hollywood on the screen. It doesn't matter if it's in a negative light, bizarrely.
2: Yeah, because that, that's all done almost as though this this is about those other guys. Yeah, know? this isn't it's about us. us yeah, know? this is the sleazy part of Hollywood that isn't us. You know, and that that's always always seems to be the case whenever that's done in movies. Yes,
0: so, so it's the film produced by the Weinstein's. Um, <laughs> screen three, yeah. Um, there we go. Uh, well, let's let's move on to Screen Four. So we get eleven years past, ten years from between the production of Screen Three and the production of Screen Four, uh, or Scream Four as. Uh, um, as Daryl is insisting, we yeah square square yeah.
2: It's not me insisting. It is you insisting, Daryl. It's, it's ghost face <laughs> <is>. who, who <laughs> yeah. Adam. But but yeah, we've got Craven and Williamson back on, on Craven film, which, which is a surprise, you know. That, that but we also get erin Aaron, Aaron Kruger,
0: who wrote the third one, comes in as script doctor on this. Yeah, yeah, which seems bizarre to me that they would invite the guy who wrote well, Screams 3. That's, that's Hollywood. It is. just unbelievable, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? It's yeah. just, yeah. Oh, crazy. So, yeah. So Scream 4 it just feels like the pointless film. I mean, they, they've wrapped it up. They have Randy speaking from Beyond the grave, telling us all about um, trilogies. We don't get another videotape of Randy in this one talking about reboots or the fact that the third film was really successful. So they they feel compelled to make a fourth one, Allah Jason and the Friday the 13th films, the final chapter. And then it carries on because it was so successful. What what do we think? What was that second screen for? For me, it just feels redundant. I I was quite excited to see it, but it, it felt redundant to me.
1: Yeah, with me, I think it's quite interesting because it's the first scream movie. I think that's then going into the next generation, and obviously that sort of side of that cause scream is so was so part of pop culture that it then got parried itself through the scary movie franchise. So I feel like Scream Four sort of acknowledges more of that that they can't sort of take themselves too seriously. I think they lean much more heavily on that whole idea of sort of a world within a world, you know, with the intro, it just goes on personally. I think it dragged, you know, I, I I wouldn't have done it that way. And sort of the references, like the references to the, you know, the Arquette's marriage breaking down and things like that. It's just like, it's not working anymore, you know, that sort of side of things. So it's like trying to find a new audience, but it doesn't quite get there. Well, Becky,
2: Becky do, you, do you think we're in a position like that with, with the new Scream as well? Again, there's been a similar sort of gap. And uh, as, as Adam mentioned earlier, you know, that's, that's coming into a marketplace where a young audience don't necessarily know what, what Scream films are. So is, is the new film going to face similar sort of challenges to, to what Scream 4 did?
1: Well I think the only difference is which I think might be a little bit with the title where whatever you want to say is that it's sort of introducing itself as a complete reboot it's not entirely ignoring the previous you know the, the the faithful fans you know bringing back the you know um yeah the holy trinity and things like that but I think that they're just trying to completely shake it up. You know, I think there was discussions before about the title. Are they going to continue on and it be Scream 5? But I think them just sort of rebooting it as Scream, I think that that was always going to be the way. Um, I think they're trying with this new one to introduce it to a new audience, you know, and, I'm, uh, you know, unfortunately due to, you know, Wes Craven's passing, I think that, you know, I can't remember their names, but the new directors on board and things, I think they're trying to sort of, find a new audience and sort of, yeah, well, reboot the franchise
0: or so. mm. wait, wait. Is that. Is it a film, as much as we are talking about it, the Scream franchise, but is it a fan, is it a film, the initial Scream and potentially a reboot, that warrants a franchise element to it? Because it feels like a lot of the meta stuff gets burnt through in the first film and it's just repeating itself yeah. in many I, I think ways.
2: The, the way they get around that and the way they try to get around it is is to do the thing where the the first movie is about horror films in general the second is about is specifically referencing C, direct sequels part twos the third movie references trilogies And and then the the fourth is back into this thing where we're talking about stab part seven and and the whole legacy of the stab series and how that connects with, with the real, the real life history of Woodsboro, the the town where the films are set. And and so, yeah, I I think, I think they, they do develop that or at least try to develop it by each, each film is about a new a new stage in the process, mm. rather than just repeating what's gone before, um, and I, I think they I just about get away with that.
0: It doesn't feel it doesn't feel as tight as as it could be.
2: I like, guess. Ag- again, I think we're we're back to this thing where the, the filmmakers would say, Well, it's not supposed to be, mm. you know, it's it's part four, for God's sake. Yeah, of yeah. course it isn't, you know. But, so, but when so you they, watch... they can they can always sort of get around that.
0: I guess I mean when you watch like the Saar films, for instance, which were very popular during this period, um, you know, of Screen Four coming out.
2: And again, they're they're
0: banging out one a year. And they're banging yeah, out yeah. one a year. So in that respect, it is is a similar comparison. They are obsessed. With the way that these movies are linked together. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, they, they sort of in- intertwine. Yeah, yeah.
2: They're, they're, they're like a lattice, aren't they? The exactly. Of, yeah. They're, they're, you know, some, some of them, you, you get to like, you know, part six or something. And oh, yeah, this it, suddenly halfway through, you think, well, oh, this scene's happening at the same time as a scene in part two. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah.
0: Whereas yeah. this, this one doesn't, I mean, this, the screen franchise doesn't seem to be that bothered about its own history.
2: In some ways. Because it's more concerned with the history of horror films yeah. and franchise films and sequel films in general, Mm-mm. I think. It takes a broader view, and I think that broader view broadens out itself as the series goes on to, to, to lesser effect. The, the the one thing I would say about Scream 4 is, A, a it's better than Scream 3. You know, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt there. I, I went into it thinking, oh, the, you, there's so many years between Scream 3 and this new one. It's going to be terrible. Uh, why are they doing it? Why is Wes Craven doing this? Why does Kevin Williamson need to do this? And then I sat down and I watched that opening sort of false start where the rug was pulled out from underneath the audience several times over. And for, for me, my personal taste is that if a scene like that is done well, I I love it. And I, I thought the opening of this film really, really got to me. And I thought, oh, this film is actually going to surprise me, mm. and it went on to do so. Um, one one point I would make about the, the 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 looking looking through the cast list here is again we've 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 talked about people either being big fans of the Scream franchise or people who hate it as as you you have sort of professed to. I'm, not, I'm not supposed to hate yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah. It's probably
0: very wrong, but, uh, but, yeah. but
2: here's 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 a point from the cast list. You know. Your your reaction to the fact that they've got a character in this film called Anthony Perkins will will tell you a lot about you as a viewer and where you stand on the Scream franchise. I love that personally. I I think how how arch can you possibly get? You know to dare to do that. Yeah, but I think
0: that, I think that this one really does, does, it, it tries to replicate the first film. In many ways, yeah. where it's casting like it's got it's got obviously the the, the holy trinity are back again. Where well, you've got Emma Roberts, obviously meta in its um, Emma Roberts just herself is meta, being the daughter of, uh, of Eric Roberts and the the niece of Julia Roberts. You know she is meta straight away. You know just sticking her in the movies. Now. Then you've got obviously Hayden. Pan, Panettiere, yeah. who's, who's on huge, Heroes? Huge
2: at the time. She was at here, huge at the time. Yeah, yeah, and she was good in this movie. From what I remember. She is. Yeah. Well, well, she she's great. She's got real appeal to to the geeky horror fans because she plays a geeky horror fan. Yeah, yeah. She knows. She knows what Bob Clark's Black Christmas is. Mm. She's got Don't Look Now and Suspiria in her DVD collection. Yeah, you yeah. You know, we love her.
0: Yeah, and you get and you get like the, the young up and coming actors and actresses in this movie that go on to go on to become uh, much bigger players in, in, in the industry. Alison breeze in it. Uh, Anna Paquin makes a cameo. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. she was big at the time anyway. Uh, Kirsten Bell is in it as a cameo as well. So you get uh, you get these people in it who who are the next generation in some
2: ways. Yeah. But perhaps the weakness, as we've been saying all along, if you've got this central trinity that, uh, for me can't
0: die. Well. It, it yeah, felt yeah. like they were they were it felt like they were going to they were teasing up Sydney to be the killer, mm. and they don't deliver on that at the end. And it's like it just feels really sort of like Ugh. oh okay that would have made her interesting. Um, <laughs> and and we, we can't we can't have that. that, can we? No, absolutely not. It, it felt like it, it set up some interesting elements and then failed to deliver. And then you left. Them. I I left the movie unsatisfied at the end.
2: It had enough in it for me because it, it brought back the trivia aspect from yeah. part from the first 20 minutes of part one, and I, I was sort of grooving on that. And when Hayden Panettiere actually beats the killer at one point mm. simply by reeling off about 20 slasher movie titles and then saying, well, it must be in there, so the answer's in there somewhere, you know and um uh, so yeah i i like that aspect to it there's there's one little bit that i i um, in in retrospect in all all these years on from the movie i quite like watching it again at one point there's there's a criticism of the stab franchise one character's talk, talking about this the seven stab movies and saying, "Oh, they," you know, the, by the time they got to part five, they put time travel into it as though that's a really bad thing, and the, the franchise has died. It's it's jumped the shark at mm. that point, you know, and and that that was funny when 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 you saw Screen Four, you know, that's that's a funny line, you know. Since then, we've had um, the Final Girls and Happy Death Day, both of which have got a sort of time shifting or time travel element to yeah. them and both of which are fantastic slasher movies. They might be the two best slasher movies of the past 10 years. And, and Scream, Scream is sort of criticising the idea of, of time travel is like a last resort. Your franchise is killed if you do that, you know. And I think these two films since then have proved that, no, time travelling slasher can be great. Well, it's, but the thing is that
0: the, the, the line that they brought in time travel is, is a funny line, but it's not rooted in it horror history no it's not no, and, and what they should well, they should have said they went into space like yeah. jason did yeah, yeah, like yeah. hellraiser did you yeah. know they had the elements to, to, yeah. to really tie it's, it in. it's
2: more a criticism of of film in general yeah. rather than specific to horror yeah. and he, he, even then i i can't think of any film series that has has, has genuinely used time travel as, as a, a, a sort of crutch, you know. Mm. I think individual movies have done, but I don't, I, I don't think that the middle film of a franchise has done. So it's a nice gag, but when you analyse it, it doesn't really make sense. And then, as I say, since then, it's been proven wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. well talking about the best horror movies of the last uh, 10, 15 years and so, Daryl, um, Ready or Not, came out a couple of years ago, and yeah. lots of people enjoyed that. I thoroughly enjoyed it He's as great. well. Yeah, yeah. Great, great movie. And it's the directors of that film that are tackling Scream 5. They are a good scream. fit for a Scream film, I think. They are a very good yeah. fit. Yeah, I, I think that's a good fit. Whether whether we will get... We'll, we'll, can't, I mean, uh, one of my criticisms of, of, of horror and moving horror forward, like Wes Craven moved horror forward in Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Hills of Eyes, Last House on the Left, and indeed with Scream, um, uh, John Carpenter propelled horror with ha- with with Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, you're not going to propel horror into the next uh, next series of uh, next stage of its evolution or the next boom period by remaking a movie from twenty, thirty years ago, or in in the case of Halloween, forty years ago. And no matter how good it is, yeah. you're well, not going to reboot. But that's
2: that's where Commercial theatrically released horror is at the moment yeah you know, yeah the, the 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 interesting boundary pushing envelope pushing uh stuff is happening elsewhere it's happening in underground horror or it's happening on on horror that's aimed at the streaming services. I think stuff that's coming out theatrically is tentpole stuff it is it's designed to make money let's reboot halloween let's reboot scream
0: mm. but um, i mean halloween was designed to make money yeah yeah you know nightmare and she was designed to make money oh, these yeah, films yeah, are yeah. there's well, no well, reason why you can't do both
2: but the the the, the, the filmmakers behind yeah. those movies had a different agenda john carpenter's never been in anything to make money he's he's a different sort of person to that you know yeah. The fact that his films make money is great, you know, and he loves it, and he mm. take, he takes the dollar, you know. But uh, he's 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 in filmmaking for a different reason. There's a reason why John Carpenter's not made a film for however many years, you mm. know, because he he doesn't like the industry anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: he doesn't fit into it, and and he he can he can he can get artistic satisfaction by playing music these days, which is what he does. So um, he's been brave enough to get out and do that. Um, not everyone can. And Hollywood itself is, is certainly, in terms of, of big theatrical release, when it comes to horror movies in particular, is all about the past and it's yeah. all about, you know, reviving um. These, these old franchises for a new audience.
0: So we, we're getting the, this, this reboot of, of well, this, this continual relaunch, uh, I guess they're, they're billing it as a relaunch of the franchise screen with great calibre directors that have proven themselves on um, already or not. Is it going to be good? Is it going to make loads of money? And are the two uh, compatible, <laughs> I guess? Because I thought Halloween Kills was awful. And it made a ton of money. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know whether I loved it. I have to yeah.
2: say I loved it, but uh, another one where we differ. So, mm.
1: yeah, it's a hard one. I, I, without obviously seeing it, to sort of say if it's going to continue on. I think if it tries to sort of Harper back to the original franchise, I think that might be its downfall. I think it's better to just go for the new audience, um, and the new cast and sort mm. of. Yeah, more play on that. I think would yeah. would be Becky. Did you did you see you ready or not? No, actually, I was gonna say before this podcast, I wanted to watch it, but I didn't get round to watching it. But obviously, that did. Yeah, that got great reviews, and you know, um, so and I know that they they yeah have a lot of promise. Um, so but hopefully, yeah. I mean,
0: the cast is typical Scream. Casting, you know, we have we have Jack Quaid in it again. The meta without even without even doing anything, you know, the the, the son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan um, we, uh, with the Holy Trinity return. Uh, but further down the billing on this one as well, uh, I don't know whether they're billing it in alphabetical order or not. But um, they are when well, they can because I can't be right at the top. But it's like they, they looking at the casting list here. They are much further down the billing on this. So I don't know whether they are handover characters maybe are they're handing handing over the franchise to a new to a new cast it's got carl Golner in who i think is fantastic if anyone saw dinner in america recently which yeah. he was absolutely brilliant in and it was a whirlwind movie and that felt like a proper 90s style movie and and yeah so i'm looking forward to I mean, there's lots to look forward to in this movie but yeah, is yeah. it is it is it going to have the impact of the first screen? I don't know whether it can.
2: Yeah, they they seem to be keeping detail of it very secret. I, mm. I must say, I, I read uh, I read a piece on it in in one of the film magazines recently, and everyone was very keen to promote the film, but very 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 cagey about what happens in it. So I'm hoping that we're in for some surprises. Okay.
1: I think that they're wanting to hand over the torch because I think I read something about Scream 4, the character of Kirby was supposed to be sort of like the next girl and then it didn't really work out and they just cut the cut, cut off. So I do think that they are probably in it to sort of hand it over. I think they're hoping to hand it over. But then there's things like there's going to be references to Randy um, with his sister is going to be is in the film. And it's just like, yeah, so I think they're going to reference it a lot, which then started to make me worried if they're going to rely too much on the audience seeing previous screens. Because I think it would be better if they just sort of, you know, have a, have it as a legacy, but also but also sort of have a complete fresh take on it.
0: And we do get the voice, the voice of Ghostface returning as well, Roger Jackson, who doesn't get enough credit, I think, because he's, he's just the device that, yeah. that is, echoes through those yeah. films. And
2: he's, again, he's, he's, he's sort of the, the, the core of the series, mm. really, and the fact that he's he's still on board when even Wes Craven isn't. You know, yeah. Wes has gone now and, uh, um, yeah, Roger's sort of carrying that torch, you know, and... and uh, I mean, that was one one thing we didn't mention about Scream Three is they do they do all that ludicrous stuff with the voice box. You yeah, yeah. It, it, you're really getting in sort of Scooby Doo territory there, you know. But uh, but yeah, Roger's always had a bit of class about him. I think if, mm. if that's the right, I, I'm not sure that's quite the right word in context. But uh, he's he, yeah, he's he's taken these films seriously in a way that perhaps not everyone else has. Yeah.
0: I mean, his voice is great. It's got that sort of like obviously scary voice kind of thing, but it's also got that playful, fun. He can, to he can it give as a well. performance. He yeah. can, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. Okay, well, let's, let's wrap it up there. We've, we've, we've covered the whole franchise. Becky, yeah. as the only person who has seen any of the Scream TV show, do you want to give a few words on what the TV show was all about?
1: Um, so I saw the first, I think it's the first two series on Netflix. I didn't see the one that was on MTV. Right. But the, yeah, the first two ones, I actually enjoyed it. Again, um, similar to the films in the sense of if you don't sort of rely too much on it referencing the original screen. Because it, basically all what they do is take the idea of Ghostface and it's not even set in Woods, Woodsboro. i think it yeah it's just the idea of sort of a like a serial killer within the community so if you just don't think too much and and about screen the film franchise and you look at it as a separate thing i i enjoyed it you know again sort of i didn't think think about it but when you both said at the beginning that sort of who done it aspect you know it's it's a nice a nice watch you know, mm. for for trying to guess who you think it was, you know, um, the person that I thought it was turned out not to be the killer. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. But, yeah, I would say if you're going to if you think it's, it's a continue on with the Scream franchise, then you'd be disappointed.
0: No, it's a it's a a, a cash in spin off uh, again, adhering to yeah, yeah. the scream meta verse. I guess.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think to wrap up today, we've we've got to ask one question around around the table. What's your favorite scary movie?
0: Ooh, Becky, do you want to go first? Because obviously, I need to think about that.
1: Night of the Living Dead. That's my favorite. Yeah.
0: Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, that, that is a great movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm 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 in similar similar territory. Really, I think Evil Dead Two takes some some beating in my world although the first nightmare on elm street the more i watch that movie the more i get from it every single time and the structure of it the way that the scenes are edited together it's clever beyond it it's not just clever because of its premise it's clever beyond that we even get a little bit of a nightmare on elm street um um homage in scream 3 don't we with uh, sydney falling asleep and yes. having i think a yep. horror dream sequence there which is kind of unusual in that franchise yeah, but I think I think Evil Dead Two is probably the one that I would always go back to. Yeah,
2: we're we're all going classic. I think yeah. I'm 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 just going to go with the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There you go. Say no more. Say all,
1: no more. Also, what order would you put the screen franchise? I think I would put number one, number two, number four, then number three.
0: I think that's fairly standard. Yeah,
2: I I I'd, I'd exchange. I I really like screen 4. So I I think I'd go one four two three but yeah not a lot not a lot you're just being country now (sighs) daryl that's me that's me but yeah i think i think we're we're, between the three of us we're, we're we're pretty much on board with that yeah yeah cool lovely thank you very much for joining us today we'll be back in another couple of weeks do check out our facebook page and if
0: you feel so inclined subscribe to our patreon to get a bonus episode each month take care and we'll see you in two weeks time